Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Elsie Rutterford and Dominika Minarovic are the founders of Bybee a skincare brand on a mission to bring climate-conscious products to the masses. Stay tuned as we learn more about this trailblazing brand and the founders behind it. Hi everyone and welcome to Founded Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs who built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable & Maine a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable in Maine has been an incredible journey so far, and I decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, it's a delight to introduce you our guests for today, Elsie Rutterford and Dominika Minarovic. They are the founders of Bybee, a skincare brand with a sustainability focus. And Elsie and Dominika first bonded over their mutual passion for clean beauty. They launched their trendsetting DIY beauty blog, podcast and book, Clean Beauty Insiders. And with an established and engaged audience from their platform, this duo understood the demand for a natural, ethical, and efficient skincare brand, and therefore even trained as skincare formulators. Today, they formulate all products in-house with upcycled ingredients and an internal auditing system to regulate its sustainability. They marry superfood with science using 100% green energy with the majority of the range housed in 100% recyclable packaging. Their goal is to become the first carbon negative beauty brand and it's truly setting the standard for the industry, which is now more important than ever. So Elsie, Dominica, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. So good to meet you yeah. and to be here. So I asked my guests the same question and I'm going to ask you both. So I'll start with Elsie. Um, who... In a nutshell, is Elsie. <laughs> oh, God. I'm oh. so glad you have to answer that first. <laughs> exactly. I did you a favor, um, Dominica. You owe me one. <laughs> yeah, it's like throw me in at the deep end. <laughs> I am um, a business owner and I keep saying new, but I'm actually not that new. A mother, um, 14 month in mother, also a dog mother um, and <laughs> Londoner. Um, and yeah, bonkers entrepreneur trying to find a way in this crazy world that is business. Love it. And Dominica? I mean, you could probably say the same thing for me. The only slight difference is that I am not a 
native Londoner, although at heart I am now a Londoner, but I am also a new mom, a business owner, <laughs> a dog mom, and someone that is trying to do better um, in quite a chaotic industry. Um, but I think one thing that we both share is a love of beauty um, and a real ambition um, to create a brand that can stand for something. I think you share multiple things, also being dog mothers, mothers, and <laughs> many things. But we'll get into, I think, how you guys met and how you guys have bonded to create this brand. But I would love, you know, you mentioned, um, Dominica, about the fact that you grew up all over the place. I would love to know a bit more about kind of what your upbringing was and which countries um, you got to experience at a young age. Yeah, so I was born in Australia to Eastern European parents from Slovakia um, who migrated there just before I was born. Um, I lived there till I was eight, then I moved to Hong Kong. So I lived most of my childhood actually in a really international and dynamic, fast-paced environment, um, hence why I probably ended up as a crazy entrepreneur. Um, I then lived in Paris um, and then I came to the UK for university um, and then moved down to London um, when I finished university and shortly thereafter met Elsie a couple of years later. So yeah, I've lived really east, slightly east, less east and now in the UK. <laughs> I've never gone the other way. I have to ask, how was Paris for you? How many French listeners do you have? Joke, joke. I <laughs> no, love okay, no, Paris. I loved it. No, I love it. Is Paris. It is amazing. It is amazing. It was a, I was studying Russian literature at university. I was very... Uh, just into the whole like cultural French scene. I had a French boyfriend. I just, I just loved it all. I just loved it all. But where I am right now, I can't see myself back in Paris, but for yeah. that moment in time, I thought it was amazing. I completely resonate. Cause I feel like it's one of those places at first it can be a little bit um, hard to adapt into this, you know, it's a very much a, a bit of a culture shock for a lot of people because you have to really speak French to really feel at home in Paris. And I think people don't realize that till you live there, you know, things from going to the supermarket to the bank, it's all in French, your tax and everything. Um, but also I think it is such a home when you're there because the friendships you make really are true friends for life. But having now from myself moved back to London, I, I will say like, you know, I find London to be really my home base and I'll just visit off a Eurostar to visit Paris and it's, it's the best of both in that way. Um, so I'm sure, yeah, it's a similar for you. We're going to Paris next week and we, well, we both love nice. Paris. Um, we've been there many times together, but um, yeah, it's just something amazing about going back to such a, um, vibrant and um, rich city so really excited. 100% and um, Elsie I know we're, we're both North Londoners so what was upbringing like for you? Yeah so I am London born and bred um, to a British mother and a Kiwi father um, so my dad lives in New Zealand so I am technically half Kiwi um, and yeah I grew up um, in North London briefly moved to Bath and then came back to London for university um, where I studied drama with the ambitions of becoming an actress um, which was swiftly um, <laughs> redirected when I realized that actually I'd probably just be a waitress for like <laughs> 15 years uh, going to auditions and the like drive to earn some quick money um, the business side of me kind of took over so I, I instead of going into acting went into sales you know the clear yeah. the clear next thing to go into <laughs> exactly I mean I feel that's a logical right <laughs> but it yeah. is true that it is um, it is interesting how uh, sometimes life, dictates a path that 
it's sort of like an accidental discovery to something that you're like becoming super passionate about and you didn't know until you stumble upon it that it's a new passion so you know being in the beauty industry I'm sure you wouldn't have it any other way today but I do want to ask about um I think it was 2015 am I correct where Elsie and Dominica first encountered themselves with each other is that true <laughs> make so it sound romantic I know I'm, I'm kind of right exactly well you know it is a founder's connection is the, even more powerful than a romantic connection at times so we have to like you know true. you're trusting you're building a brand and a baby and a family together so it's incredible but yeah how did you guys meet yeah so we actually met a little bit earlier than 2015 we met in 2012 okay. um, when we joined the same company at the same time in the same role so we quite literally sat opposite each other we were both in sales um looking after media agencies and Elsie was looking after two and I was looking after two but we were all part of the same group um so it just felt yeah like I was looking in the mirror <laughs> this is a common theme that unfolds throughout our story um but yeah we kind of became firm office BFFs um and I think actually the way that we were introduced um and the foundations we built around being co-founders and starting and work is it's been really beneficial to us and our journey and our success because we always viewed each other in a professional capacity. And actually, the reason why we went into business together is because we rated each other from for our ambition, for our personal acumen, our professional abilities. Um, it wasn't so, you know, we were best friends and we had this idea. You know, we both were very um, clear about what we wanted to achieve from our careers and, and that aligned. So we felt like it was a good partnership. Um, and we've now been working together long time I mean five years on the business um mm. and one of those years was just spent the two of us in a tiny room broom cupboard in Hackney um so we've spent a lot of time together and I would say like the founder relationship that we have is one of the strongest that I have in my entire life because it's built on so much trust and so much mutual respect and I think it's quite difficult to build those relationships you know from scratch so I think the fact that we met working together was a really good um initial mutual ground we often say as well that actually the lack of um obviously we're like friends like <laughs> we've built a strong friendship and um yeah and are very important people in each other's lives but the lack of like prior friendship I think really helps because you don't have that um legacy of like a relationship that you've built that you might have with like a best friend for example or going into business with an old school friend or even a sibling you know we didn't have any of that so what it meant was you know the kind of like niggles that you might have of your best mate who's been doing that same thing for years and you know she never sees anything through and it just really annoys you like we didn't have any of that history and I think actually that's a really good place to start because like we knew each other worked like we worked really well with each other we knew each other professionally and we got on really well and we were good mates that was like the perfect storm and I actually think that's a better starting point for a founder relationship than anything that's steeped in too much emotional connection from the very very beginning because that will probably cause um a bit of a cloud in terms of your judgment on that person and and your relationship with them I think that's such a good point Elsie because I think um when it comes to having that I guess relate that relationship or that kind of history with someone you sort of that cloud makes you sometimes miss 
like, you know, you don't ask those important questions that you might need to, and you misplace maybe the trust in certain areas and you think, oh, it's like, you know, this person's like this, or I'm sure we'll figure it out. But actually by going in a little bit more pragmatically into this whole creating a brand and we're creating a business, it makes you, and it forces you to ask the questions that you wouldn't feel you know, you would need to ask to each other. And I'm sure you did that at the beginning where it's like, hey, what is our mission to, in creating this? What do we want to achieve together and individually? And what are the protocols and the protective mechanisms we can put in place in case something goes wrong? And that is sort of like the foundations, I think, to creating a really solid structure and I guess you could say plan. Um, I call it a founder plan instead of a business plan. I had it with my sister. I said, let's create a founder plan together because that was so important. Um, and I had to do that because I had a sibling to work with. So it was a little bit more riskier because I didn't want, you know, that to affect anything, our, our whole lives together. But um, I know you guys um, initially kind of met and, and from a business idea in creating Clean Beauty Insiders, previously Clean Beauty Co. Uh, how did that idea come to be? That was, so we've always been like beauty junkies through and through um, for, for a variety of re- reasons. Like when we first met, you know, we'd um, often go out to the salon, get our nails done together, go for facials together. Like all of that kind of thing was like a big part of our lives, like really brought into to skincare and finding the next best thing. Um, but this was also a time like casting our minds back to 2013 um, when the like wellness thing was just just kind of like taking off. Um, and it was really being led by, you know, this group of bloggers, we called them bloggers, they weren't, there was no such thing as influencers back then, um, who were like rewriting the rule book when it came to like veganism and like experimenting with food groups. And, you know, suddenly it wasn't about like being alternative and hippie and lentil based, but it was all like sweet potato brownies. And, you know, we were all, I, I literally had a jumper that said kale on it. <laughs> like, actually, like this was like, this was, was 2013. Really ahead of the time. Really ahead of the time. <laughs> I think Beyonce had it. let's just go with that um so it was like the idea behind clean beauty co back then um inside us more recently yeah was a merging of those those couple of things like you know we were really pushing for transparency in our food and our wellness products and wanted to understand about the groups of food that were fueling our body and getting really into kind of being active but equally you know spending a decent proportion of our time thinking about beauty and not asking the same questions that felt like a massive disconnect so we we kind of went down the journey that a lot of people do when they when they start to think about like more natural clean better for you beauty products like it's an extension of what's happening in kind of food and wellness so we wanted to understand what were in our beauty products we wanted to make sure that we were as savvy beauty consumers getting good value for money and most importantly the best ingredients for our skin and i think this is quite an important part of our journey that has helped shape the bybee brand and makes us a bit different in the kind of like clean natural set of brands we didn't go into clean and natural to get rid of synthetics or to talk about toxic ingredients we got into it because we were looking for the best possible results. And we truly believe that they come from like natural, high quality, like high potency ingredients. So you you won't see terms like non-toxic or our synthetic bashing at all with with Bybee. That's really stayed with us. Like we love synthetics as well. Like I use them as part of my skincare routine, but I truly believe that a skincare routine rich in great quality natural ingredients will lead to, to my skin's best health. And that's kind of what we stumbled across and and what really inspired us to then go on and start writing recipes and writing the blog and the book and 
the empire kind of unraveled from there. <laughs> I love it. Yes. And I love the word empire because it's so true. It is. <laughs> and, you're, and you're building one, I would say, that is, I, I hate the word disrupting and this and that, but it is really encouraging a mindset change into different um, a consumers, but also founders, right? Because when I was researching a lot about your brand and now obviously trying the products and, you know, and really enjoying what you're creating, it was really apparent that every touch point lived and you know, breathed the DNA that you are intending to do, um, which I know takes time and it can take money and it can take um, patience because the industry is maybe not ready for it, retailers not ready for it, and consumers might not be yet. But I would love to know sort of like, did you always envision this from day one? And did you have like a starting date in mind or was it until you were ready? Because you guys also formulated, um, you know, the product. So you were training in that. Yeah. So I guess our content platform, we'll call it a content platform because it, it umbrellas so many different um, channels of content. So a podcast, uh, yep. a book now, um, and then obviously a blog, Instagram. Um, but our content platform was centered originally around quite literally making your skincare using food. So it was like mash up that avocado, put it on your face rather than going out and buying that 30 pound face mask that has a little bit of avocado extract in it um, yeah. and has a nice green leaf on it. Why don't you bring that closer to home? Um, but the roots of a lot of that was centered around sustainability as well, although that term didn't exist and we weren't really thinking about it from an environmental perspective. But actually what we were saying was go into your fridge, take things that are just about to go off rather than throwing them away, use them in your beauty routine, make something that's one time use that doesn't have any excess packaging um, that can really be um, mindfully disposed of. Um, so already we were building an ethical brand without even knowing what that was. Um, but we we really gained a lot of momentum with our content platform. You know, Evening Standard was calling us the new faces of natural skincare. I mean, it was a pretty dusty corner of beauty, let's be honest. I'm not saying that we went out and revolutionized um, the mainstream skincare industry. We're talking about a set of brands that was traditionally, you know, stocked in Whole Foods and brown paper bags and felt very you know, crunchy granola. And suddenly there were two like 20 something, um, you know, women talking about these, these um, philosophies around skincare, but with a completely modern approach to it. So people were just dumbfounded. Um, so we, we gained a lot of momentum. We built up a great community and a lot of what we were doing around Clean Beauty Insiders was pulling together real communities. We were running workshops. We used to sit on Saturdays, um, you know, with 20 people, over a glass of Prosecco talking about skincare while we were making skincare using, you know, beautiful natural ingredients. And the amount of insight that we were able to, you know, not necessarily um, quantitatively collate, but qualitatively, so those are two difficult words to say, um, you know, we were just absorbed in this industry. And, and for us, it was so obvious there was a brand that all of these consumers wanted. Um, you know, they were spending their Saturday mornings quite literally like putting bath salts and lavenders together. They had a desire for something more ethical, um, but they didn't want to compromise on that beauty experience. And I think that is what the naturals industry really lacked was, you know, delivering that experience and the, the feel good um, luxury elements of beauty, but still maintaining the ethical side. 
Um, and also what's really important that in all of this is the efficacy, right? You know, yeah. those lavender bath salts or scrubs or, you know, they're beautiful and they're made with so much love and care that you buy in Whole Foods, but they don't scream efficacy. And you're not going to pick that up thinking this is going to deliver that knockout result that I'm going to get from my, you know, my Kiehl's eye cream or whatever it is. It just, they just didn't communicate efficacy. So for us, we knew natural delivered efficacy. We had this great community. We had momentum. We had a book. We had press. But there was no brand that answered any of our needs. So we, you know, we quite literally went out and created it. Um, and, you know, we're not, you know, we didn't come from the beauty industry. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that we were doing in the early days was like, you know, it was it's quite off the beat. You know, it was a bit left of center, right? You know, yeah. we were formulating ourselves. Who formulates themselves? Like we went out and trained as natural skincare formulators. Why don't we just hire a lab? I don't know. But but we, as you say, we were so involved in every small detail of building the brand yeah. that the brand is such a reflection of us and our personal values. Um, but essentially what we wanted to create was a mainstream, accessible brand that still delivered on ethics. Um, and still to this day, I think, you know, we still cater for a need that necessarily hasn't been entirely fulfilled. It's obviously getting a super cluttered market around yeah. clean, natural, but we still deliver something at quite a unique price point that caters towards a, a specific audience that I don't think that many brands are doing yet. No. And we felt like it was maybe too obvious, mm. like, you know, the the as the 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 fact that the market is so cluttered and so competitive like speaks volumes to the amount of product brands that are there out there so we had to like fully get behind the fact that we felt we were confident that we were filling a gap because we we dabbled with lots of ways of monetizing this this kind of like spark that we'd stumbled across that was you know the the side hustle the the passion project turn could this actually make us some serious money so like the book was you know would we could have gone down the content route and just kept writing recipes and and gone down that way and we seriously kind of played with that um we also looked into events quite seriously as well and we actually ran uh, an event in london called clean cult festival that we were just like running a festival as our side t- as our side jobs as and we actually does. like put it together and had an acquirer for it and like, somebody wanted to buy it from us we were like no we we believe that the the gap in the market is really the product we still like we really wholeheartedly felt that there wasn't a brand doing what we were doing and that's still true today but yeah. it wasn't we weren't we felt it was it was too obvious at first <laughs> it was like we can't just make a, a beauty brand that's like so obvious that but actually it was the route that we wanted to take. And, and you know, in a way, it's sort of like, it is the vehicle for the change you want to see. It's the fastest catalyst, is the product into someone's hand. And then all the stuff that you were doing and you are still doing is something that could just add to the brand's DNA. You know, you can do your, your festivals, the book, the podcast, that all kind of like fits in this ecosystem. Um, and I think... That's what makes Bybe really success today. Um, I would love to know uh, for the audience, the inspiration behind the name. One of you can share. Well, (laughs) (laughs) um, so the blog was then, we kind of rebranded it to Clean Beauty Insiders. um, And that was really around, you know, we'd we'd got to the depths of what was inside your beauty products. And, um, you know, we'd built up this this blog and and that gave us a real insider view on on the beauty industry. And Bybe 
we quite liked the fact that it sort of roughly stood for by beauty insiders, be like what by by and then beauty insiders. Um, but I have to be a little bit honest <laughs> and just say that we were also looking for a four four letter word that was easy to trademark internationally and that didn't exist. And I don't know if you've done much work with trademarks, but quite yes, I everything's been trademarked. Everything. But thank God every you word. said it because it's such an imp- especially today. I mean, we, we built you know brands. I built a few years ago. You built before. Um, the reality is, is like today, if anyone's thinking about creating a brand. You could have the best name out there, but just make sure you look at the trademark and the countries that you want to penetrate and, and sell in yeah. because that's important at this stage. And there are companies and, and quite mean people out there that the minute they see a brand launch, they'll literally buy the trademarks and domains in all the other countries just to make sure they can sell it to you if later on, if they think it's going yeah. to do well. Yeah. So be smart about that. Um, it was like when I, I don't know if you watch Apprentice, I mean, you know, it's more for fun, right? But yesterday I was watching the finale and I was like, they're just going on these names without thinking like about the trademark because if like it's that easy and it isn't, it's really complicated. So I completely it's feel hard. you. It, it is hard. But but you did it. So have you managed to get the trademarks? Yes, yeah. yes, we are. Yeah. Okay. Globally. <laughs> I'm just yeah. pausing there before you continue. Okay, yeah. good. Because I say all that yeah. stuff and you're like, Akash, don't tell anyone about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. We are protected. I mean, but we, we went through a long list of names before. Yeah. I We've got this imagine. sheet. We actually um just, we, we have like a memory box. And for our last Bybee birthday, we pulled it out. And it's the sheet that Elsie and I sat down remember exactly where we were in a nettle house in hackney in the cafe and we just wrote all of these combinations of letters and names we had clean beauty insiders everywhere and we were like how does this all work because obviously we already had a brand as well and we wanted and at that point actually we wanted to move away from the clean beauty terminology so when we started clean beauty insiders the the, the pure irony of it is the reason why we called it clean beauty is because clean eating was a really big trend at that point, mm. which has now kind of died down. And it, again, it has somewhat negative connotations, but the term clean beauty did not exist. It, we yeah. literally, we could have bought cleanbeauty.com, which we should, I mean, that would have just been a business in itself, but quite literally cleanbeauty.com, the domain was available for purchase. That is how in, not in use this term was and then suddenly when we started to create Bybee we were like we understood the connotations that were building around clean beauty in the US which we didn't agree with and we were like okay we need Mm. to move away from this because it doesn't it actually doesn't resonate with the brand that we're trying to build which is really centered around positivity and not you know we don't talk about what is not in our products what we do is talk about what is in our products and the clean beauty movement doesn't necessarily always um synergize with that so we wanted to move away from the term clean beauty anyway which is why we had the blank piece of paper and we're like okay we need a new brand name but it needs to link back obviously to what we were doing no 100 percent. i mean one thing on clean beauty um do you feel like what is your perception today because i've been you know there's a lot of articles about is it right to say greenwashing and, you know, a lot of brands like using the terms and not really truly being clean and what is clean. Do you think today in the industry, there is a sense of mistrust by consumers in this over, I guess you could say claiming of clean? Yes, I think there is, you know, there's, there's no universal definition that underpins exactly what clean, clean means. 
Um, yeah. And so, by market as well, right? Because some markets yeah. have different definitions and retailers and it's, it is complicated. Yeah. yeah. And even like even we will in the same sentence use like natural and clean interchangeably, whereas actually we we pin definitions on both of those things as, as being quite different. But the consumer doesn't. Um, so I think that like, a, yeah, the lack of of a universal standard means that it's it's a murky, um, uh, yeah, a, a murky situation for the consumer to navigate. And they're completely reliant on the brand and trusting um, the brand and their definitions of clean. Yeah. I would say now, though, the feeling, the sense that I have in terms of the shift and the way that the industry is going is that actually that like greenwashing of clean and natural was kind of like 18 months ago yeah. you know the the backlash against clean beauty the like backlash against naturals that has happened like but i feel like we've all kind of moved on from that now and the consumer might see clean or natural and kind of just take it at face value and, and understand that the products probably fall under a broad definition of better for you in some way. And I, I feel like the, I feel like the consumers kind of moved on and they're probably now more thinking about like transparency of ingredients, like understanding the key ingredients that are in that product. Are they natural? Are they clean? Maybe it's not, maybe it's not a key purchase decision for them, purchase driver for them. Um, but also they're really thinking about like, sustainability um and that's becoming like higher up on um yeah on on their checklist so yeah Mm. I think there was a lot of greenwashing that kind of went on in in the last um well since I guess since like Gwyneth coined the term clean beauty and we all started using it you know um but I think the consumers Mm. moved on I like that's honestly where I am now and it's kind of like table stakes like you come to market with a clean safe like with a safe a safe formulation because you have to like it you know it's kind of like I think also the so, consumers yeah. today like most brands that they're seeing with their they're shopping they are you know seeing now vegan cruelty free uh, clean it's not necessarily like a surprising thing especially in, yeah. I can tell you, in my podcast like interviewing hundreds of founders there's not really been a brand that isn't like vegan or clean uh, to be honest which is no. which is such a beautiful you know place to be in um as as a consumer and as a founder to see that so many brands are doing this whether it's from the need to catch up to the industry the consumer's needs or just the founder's needs it doesn't matter at least it's happening but i do think you know you touched on something i know that's where you guys are really focused on is sustainability i think that's really somewhere that a lot of brands even my brand you know we have a long way or not a long way but we have a journey to get to and i love that you guys are pro planet and carbon negative so i would love for you to explain a what carbon negative is for anyone listening because we all hear carbon neutral but not carbon negative um and what your pro planet commitments are yeah definitely um and i think this is something that we're still figuring out like how to articulate to our customer you know when you speak to us and you know we'll explain it hopefully very um succinctly and articulately to you but obviously we're not standing next to every consumer so we have to be really mindful about our hierarchy of messaging and how we communicate some of this stuff because yes it's important and um we are we believe future proofing our brand because you know like clean as you've said and and vegan and cruelty free is now just like everyone does it we believe that that will be the future for sustainability as well and if you're not setting these practices now um you know you're going to be 
tasked with doing it in the future, either by governments, by consumers, by yeah. regulation. You know, it is exactly. changing out there. Um, so I think we, we're really confident that while perhaps it's not immediately obvious what we're trying to do in sustainability, we're internalizing um, something that will future-proof our business. Um, but broadly, you know, we started the brand, as I said, in, in 2017, we created Vibe. Um, we already were, I guess, as individuals and consumers, like conscious that is probably the best way to say it. We're not activists. We're not, um, you know, we weren't vegan ourselves through our diet. We were just very conscious about what was happening in the world. And when we came in to create a brand and we were informed of so many of the poor practices that happen in the beauty industry, namely around waste, non-recyclable packaging and sourcing of ingredients or lack of transparency around sourcing of ingredients, we were like, no, 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 no. We've got to do things differently because genuinely as a conscience of two founders, we can't create a brand that then just contributes to more of this. And we, we felt really passionately about that. And I think, you know, even if you speak to our manufacturer who we took on from day one, they will tell you the same thing that these two girls came in and said, here's a formula, here's the packaging, and here's all the places we want you to buy all the ingredients from. And they were like, this Amazing. is quite different. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, we felt really passionate about owning our supply chain because we wanted it to be a better and a cleaner supply chain. And when I say clean, I don't mean, you know, not using parabens. I mean that we wanted to know whose hands all of these ingredients were passing through. We wanted to know that they were being paid fairly. We wanted to know that each point of distribution was using the best and the most eco um, transportation, waste management methods, you know, recyclability, all these things. Like it was so much that we were trying to achieve at such an early stage of a brand. But we also didn't have an overarching mission that we were kind of pinning all of this to. So when someone said, how are you sustainable? We would go off on a tangent and like list about a hundred different things. Oh, and did you know our shea butter is sourced from this local women's community yeah. in Africa? And it's just like, whoa, like what are you girls on about? <laughs> so we decided to really refine our mission um, to not only make it clear for the consumer, but also for us to, uh, to internally make decisions. And I think that's what we kept coming up against. We were trying to do better, but because sustainability or sustainable sourcing is such a gray area and for every positive, there's a negative, particularly on packaging. It was really just difficult to make a decision. And that is one piece of advice I would say to any brand that's trying to create a, a corporate social responsibility is to make that quite succinct and clear because you can then tie all of your internal decisions to that overarching mission. If that mission is blurred, you'll go down a rabbit hole of not being able to choose between PCR or recyclable packaging or sourcing local ingredients or using natural versus synthetic because you won't have any anchor with which to define your decisions. Um, so that is one thing that we learn after a couple of years of trying to do all of this stuff. Um, but loosely, our, our mission is centered around carbon because after much research, um, you know, carbon is the number one contributor to, to the current climate crisis. And, we, and when we look at our environmental footprint as a brand, yes, we create packaging that goes to landfill. But when that packaging is in landfill, the reason why it's bad is because it produces um, and emits uh, greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. You know, transportation distribution releases carbon emissions. Production not run on renewable energy releases carbon emissions. So actually, if we could just re re reduce our emissions across the board, suddenly everything that we were doing across our supply chain could be anchored to something. And it's something that could really have um, an immediate and tangible impact on the environment. So we decided to reduce our carbon emissions um, 
we took it a step further to become carbon negative because we have identified multiple practices within our supply chain that sequester carbon. We're a very, very heavily plant orientated business through our packaging and our raw materials. So we identified several mechanisms with which we could start to actually absorb carbon from the atmosphere. So we thought if we could do that enough across the supply chain, we could actually get to a point where our net result was negative rather than neutral. Um, There are emissions that we can't avoid like distribution, but we're essentially balancing the scales. So when we emit carbon, and I'm using my hands because the cash can see me, but you know, if you can't see me, just imagine I'm holding a set of scales, you know, we emit some carbon, but then we absorb it. Then we emit some carbon, then we absorb it. And we're hopefully getting to the point rather than that, we're like that. Get further. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said like that and like that because you can't see my hands, <laughs> but we're in negative essentially. Um, and this is a, this is a beauty industry first. No, no one is doing this. Yeah. We created beauty's first carbon negative skincare product. It's called Glow Current Booster. It has a negative emissions factor um, from cradle to gate. Yep. You're holding it there. <laughs> so that, that product itself actually absorbs carbon from the atmosphere. Um, which is is truly remarkable um, and we're, something we're super proud of. Um, but, we, you know, it, it's, it's a mission that we want to be super transparent with and we share how we've achieved that um, through many different means. And any brands that want to know, you know, we jump on calls all the time with other founders and they're like, how did you do this? And we're transparent around it because ultimately we want everyone to be on the same path as us. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I love that. I'm definitely going to jump on a call with you because mm-hmm. I mean I've just signed up to a Cambridge course in um, circular economy sustainability and it's something that I'm working with a team very closely now on our kind of packaging and our commitments um, it is harder when 
initially we set out to be a brand that's got really a strong mission behind it with our fund about wildlife conservation and animal welfare. You know, we have our funds going to this, but we still have to be a whole 360, you know, entity when it comes to sustainability and clean. And so that's why for me, I'm like, I'm learning. And every time I speak to founders, I'm getting more and more inspired. So after this podcast, I'll be like, you know, speaking about carbon negative now. And I'll be like, hey, this is something that we need to look into. So, And I love the fact that you've launched a product that is, you know, you just said it so beautifully. Like this one is carbon negative. It's one I've never heard it. And the way you have on the packaging, positive climate action, it's so, um, yeah, it's just, it kind of, it feels so right. And uh, I'm just shocked that there's not many brands doing it. So I'm glad, again, seeming as you guys seem to be founders who do do things uh, before it's time. So I'm sure in a few years you'd be like, you know, of what's next? Because yeah. <laughs> you guys are ahead of the curve. But I know you also created, um, I don't know if it's still going on because of the pandemic, but Susty Summits. Yeah. Can you explain what that yeah, was? Yeah, we did use to, um, yeah, we did. And we will bring them back again, dabbling in events. <laughs> but it's probably a good thing that we didn't put all of our eggs in the events basket because I think we proved yeah. quite a different pandemic. Um, yeah. But I will just say, Akash, just back to your point there, just one last thing on the like yeah. 360 approach to sustainability. Like you have to, without getting too political, or like um, critical theory kind of vibes like there's an intersection between any um, like corporate or climate responsibility that you choose to back and I think like you know in supporting animal welfare for example that goes hand in hand with supporting our climate because those two things have to coexist you know and it's the same with people as well I think this is you know, yeah. once we kind of solidified our mission, it also allowed us to have kind of like secondary missions that fall underneath that because, you know, we have to have um, people who feel kind of like supported across across the world. We have to have animals, you know, who are supported across the world, but the world has to be strong enough to house all of those things to start exactly. with. So they all, there's there's huge amounts of intersectionality that go that go on. So you know, looking in any one thing, looking at any one thing in isolation equally won't get us out of the crisis that we are in. So I think like what you're doing by, by focusing your mission so clearly is, is the right thing to do. And what you will find is that it has a a positive impact on other areas of, of the the bigger picture, just as us looking to support, you know, uh, to reduce our carbon footprint will have a a positive impact on animals. You know, it's, it's that kind of like, yeah, that we are, we're all working towards the same like bigger mission and yeah. So you're doing thanks great. For saying you're doing, that. No, <laughs> don't worry I, I, about your I, I needed to right hear now. that. I needed, no, thanks for saying that because it is, and I think for anyone listening, it's it is true to like don't dilute your own mission too. It's a very important factor because it all has a purpose. So that's yes, point. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And as I said earlier, it's really about like there's so many decisions to be made. Like we could sit yeah. here and have a massive discussion about what's better to use, you know, aluminium or PCR. But unless you have a mission, you, you can't make these decisions because there's no silver bullet and there's no right or wrong. And I think the thing just to say is that it's really important for brands to also just be cognizant of the fact that we're still creating products, shipping it around the world, and most of it's still ending up in landfill. So we can't claim to say buy glow current and you know you have you have saved the world. Like no. any brand claiming that needs to change their messaging because we inherently are unsustainable and all we're trying to do all of us is do things with a better mentality but the end of at the end of the day we are still creating product and encouraging consumerism and what gets me up more than anything else you know is brands going out and saying 
we've we've nailed it. This is just buy our brand and everything's fine. And you see that across food, fashion, beauty. And I think that that is that is problematic messaging because it's it it's encouraging consumers to buy your product on the basis that um, you know they're doing better. But really, the best thing to do is not buy anything at all. But that is yeah. just something that we we kind of grapple with because obviously our mission is quite we're quite vocal about it but we also always caveat that with we're not a sustainable beauty brand we have sustainable practices and those two things are very different it's so true and i think it's really important to sometimes when we when when we built this fable in maine actually my sister said the first thing to us based on ayurveda is like less is more so it's called like not selling is the new, is the right way of selling so you've got to say you don't need you know you don't need the products but if you do want it here is a product that can, you know, help this or help that. Um, we have sustainable action. You know, um, there are things that we're doing, but, you know, you have to also as a consumer do things that we can't control. Like, can you make sure it doesn't go into the landfill? Can you make sure you are recycling it? Can you make sure, you know, you're utilizing it effectively, not just lathering it in, finishing it in a day, like, you know, use it mindfully and let it last longer. There's a whole journey. And I think that's when a brand should really focus on is how are they from the beginning to the potential end of the product, or even if it's recycled back into the whole system, um, how can you ensure in every touch point through all your touch points, whether it's social media, the website, the packaging, how can you effectively communicate that? And I think you said that before, girl, with the, you know, with the idea of like effectively communicating in everything. I think that is so, 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 so important. So have you found, what would you say is, one of the hardest ways, um, and then I would also ask the most effective ways of communicating your intentions. We really struggle with it. Um, I think the the main difficulty that we have is understanding at what um, level of importance this entire issue is to the customers mm. that we're trying to speak to. And the fact is that varies based on where the customer is, you know, the demographic of the customer, where they are in their life. Um, you know, speaking to uh, a customer who's, you know, bought us from um, like an online store and is based in London versus somebody who's walked into, you know, a Target store in Florida, they're probably going to be like quite different um, sets of people. And this is at different levels of importance to them in, in terms of where they are in their life. So... And also layer in the fact that what we're talking about is quite complex. It's quite vague in that it's not, when you talk about carbon, it doesn't feel, um, well, it's not physically something that you can touch in a way that packaging is, for yeah. example, um, which is, I think, why the beauty industry is so caught up on packaging and, and that being the kind of be all and end all to um, better practices. But, you know, when you're when you're talking about um, the carbon footprint of somebody's beauty brand and the implications of a, a, a beauty product having a high carbon footprint or an industry having a high carbon footprint, people find it quite difficult to connect the dots between um, that footprint and what it means for the, the world um, at a higher kind of more top level. Um, you know, we, we don't we we find it quite difficult to look at the changing climate you know the the freak like hot weather that we had last year uh, last week sorry in here in london like the floods the droughts the wildfires they're quite difficult to track all the way back to consumer goods being a part of that obviously yeah. not the biggest part and then your beauty product and understanding that that footprint can it's just the the whole thing is quite complex and quite vague 
and you can't see it and touch it and feel it. So trying to communicate all of that to a customer who also then layer in, they might actually just not even care, um, is really exactly. com- is really complex and challenging um and you know the the because it's quite a new movement um the definitions again kind of like clean the definitions don't have a universal um like they're not universally standardized um so they're used interchangeably um we see brands using carbon positive carbon negative um loads of brands are touting carbon neutral but they're achieving it through purchasing offsetting credits which I don't think that we specified, but just to say the um, us achieving carbon negativity with glow current um, relied on absolutely zero um, external carbon um, offsetting credits being purchased. It was all wow. within our own supply chain. Carbon offsetting credits are incredibly problematic and becoming quite a greenwashed industry. Yeah, if you have a lot of money, then you might be just spending a lot of money to become carbon neutral, but actually doing absolutely nothing for the environment yourselves as a brand where you could be going a lot further, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. You see that with big conglomerates. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, buy, yeah, let's buy our way out of it rather than actually reducing the harm that we're doing. Like it doesn't, exactly. if you, it, it, it literally doesn't add up, like literally and metaphorically. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, so that, I mean, you know, I've spent five five minutes explaining like that. How do you then put that on the side of your product? And then also say, yeah. by the way, this isn't sustainable, like, because we are a product brand. You know, that's, no, that's exactly. a challenge. Um, yeah. And knowing who wants to listen to it and when. Um, so, yeah, those are, those are the complexities, I think, of nailing the messaging in a way that feels really easy to understand. And I think to your point as well about the afterlife of beauty products and um, placing the emphasis on the consumer like the uh, like there's only so much education we can do about the recyclability of each of our packaging materials because ultimately like that is out of our hands like the you know recyclability rates um and processes change like council by council like here in london like let alone on a on an international basis so part of the reason that that settling on carbon, our carbon footprint was so important to us as well was because we could own it as a brand and that's totally accountable for us as a brand. And we're not just saying, here you go, customer, like washing our hands of it, like you make sure that's recycled. If you make sure it ends up in recycling, then then it's fine. Like actually we're taking our responsibility and, and accountability for our part in all of this. And that was really important to us as well. But to answer your question, the way that we communicate it is very selectively and actually what continues to be the primary focus for us as a a, like external marketing is these Mm. products are amazing. They work. They give you great results um, and they're an accessible price point. Just the rest is on us. Don't even worry about it. It's almost like we don't even have to communicate it. Um, for those that want to know, it's all on our website. You know, we are, you know, we've got our founder profiles. You know, we are very passionate and um, present in this industry. And if you ever hear us talk or you see any external comms, you know, you always get a sense of it. But at the end of the day, yeah. if someone's walking into Target and they see our products, they think, wow, these look great oh my God, they use vitamin C and, you know, a retinol alternative, I'll have that. It's it's just not even something that we can entertain at this point as primary messaging to sell the product because there's just not enough people that will have that as their um, primary purchasing driver. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine yeah. because we offer great products. So as long as our products continue to deliver, we don't need to necessarily worry about pushing that message too hard at this point. As we said, it's future-proofing ourselves. And, you know, at some point, this will have to just be the way that business is done. And we're, we're already there, so we just don't even need to worry about it. Um, so that's kind of the way that we're approaching it. 
And obviously it makes for great podcast chat. So yeah, exactly. No, and that's why I think like, I love that fact that you've got everything on the website. I mean, I've seen it from the harvesting to this. You've got the whole super clarity, super, super clarity, super clear and uh, really easy to digest. But at the same time, you are allowing also for those consumers who just say, look, don't worry about it. You can just trust in us because we've done all, like we're doing the the legwork on that. Um, But there is that whole, so, you know, I do have to ask about, standardization there are certain big conglomerates and corporations like b corp etc that people have trust in or it's you know you guys seem to be doing a lot of it like sort of because you know maybe how the industry is sometimes you're you seem to be really internalizing your own processes and making sure you're communicating it as 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 bybee so is that sort of like something that you want to continue doing and basically eventually hopefully be recognized as an entity itself to be referred to like look what bybee is doing or do you want to you know go into this whole b corp certification etc yeah i think certifications are important again just to give that confidence to the consumer i think something like b corp is actually becoming quite recognized i think sometimes the issue with certifications is that again who's behind them what do they mean does the consumer really understand you know what it is and sometimes the logo can can create more confusion than it solves um but i think there are certain certifications that we have and certain that we almost have including b corp um because i think that it it also forces us to have proper documentation have the proper legal um documentation to show some of the things that we're doing so actually the process of b corp for example, has has inspired a lot of internal processes that have been really beneficial to us. Um, so I think it is worth it. I think definitely we would like to be seen as a leader in terms of um, how we're communicating and sharing what we do. Um, so you mentioned briefly at the start, we have an internal auditing system called the SUSTI score, which we created. We open source that. You can find it on our website. And um, it's essentially a tool that any brand can download and use and use that infrastructure to help them, I guess, again, make better decisions. Um, it depends on what your your lens on that is, but it definitely helps guide certain decisions around sourcing and packaging and production. So I think that, you know, we, we're doing a lot of really interesting things. And I think for an industry of our size, um, as you say, we don't have this competition mindset. It's a collaboration mindset for sure, because ultimately, you know, it's not going to drive sales. If Akash, if you go and use our SUSTI score, it doesn't mean that you're going to sell more than us. Um, <laughs> You know, it's not going to be anything for the consumer. All we're doing is building a relationship with you to show, give you the confidence to make better decisions and ultimately selfishly as a consumer and a resident of the world, if you're doing better, then that's better for me. So again, we just have a very collaborative mindset. And I think that we would love to, yeah, find a way to really formalize that eventually. Um, But for now, I think certifications can be useful if they're legitimate um, and they ask the right things. I think certain ones that I've seen, I don't know, I don't want to call out, you know, name names or whatever, but some of them you're just like, what, like, what what does that even mean? And why do you have it? It's just such a, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. And sometimes when you see certain brands on it, that are so you kind of it can lose its legitimacy in a way if you know certain practices are not fully um, in that way. So I think having a range of certifications, but also still, I would say eloquently and efficiently articulating them throughout 
you know, certification is one form of, of kind of doing by doing right by your mission, but also, you know, just educating people on your own actions itself. And I think that's what you've done in your website. For me, it's more impactful seeing your, your, um, when I went on your, you know, the Bybee's impact and I saw the whole page, that was so much more valuable to me than just seeing a logo called B Corp certified for me. So that's, I think, where I can, you guys are really doing a great job is articulating that. And hopefully in this three second attention span world we now live in, people will enter the universe of Bybee and then learn more through Elsin Dominica into all of the things you're doing because it's really worth listening to. And I'm really glad we got to speak predominantly about that in the podcast because I know um, that's a big, big part of your your brand's DNA and your founder's um, mission, I would say. Um, but before we sort of wrap it up with some fire round questions, I do want to go a little bit into um, you guys specifically as founders. Um, do you have any rituals that you kind of, I guess you could say even post-pandemic that is now ingrained into your daily lifestyle that kind of set you up for success? I think the pandemic probably forced us to look at our kind of like rituals and processes and um, what we were doing to focus energies and prioritise. Um, I think a combination of the pandemic and having and being forced to work remotely, so not physically being with each other, um, was like a powerful driver of that but we also both had babies um last year within uh well I mean last year Dominique the year before um within seven weeks of each other so we were kind of like in and out of the business albeit like very briefly but um still kind of like handing over the business to um you know a, a team basically was a very new thing for us to do um but we had to make sure that there were processes set up for like visibility information sharing and um, continuing to share the mission um, our mission for the brand and our values um, for a relatively new team working remotely whilst we were kind of like in and out with a baby so yeah I think a few things um, we are like militant about our own founder um, meetings if anybody tries so we've got a catch-up on Monday and a catch-up on Friday and if people if, he, if anybody dares try and put anything over the top of it, they are they are shot down. We're like, go, you find you find another time in our diary. Do not put it over just because it's an internal meeting. Um, so we have like a weekly align. We call it on Mondays, which is remote because um, we work from home on Mondays, and then we see each other on Fridays, and we have our, our founder session over lunch. So it's like the, the beginning of the week is like setting priorities and then the end of the week is a chance for us to, to be quite accountable for how we've progressed, um, fit each other in on the bits and pieces that we've been doing that haven't involved or overlapped one another, which is pretty small amounts to run because we've both got quite a lot of visibility. Um, and yeah, we're also very um, militant with our catch up with our ma- managing director, who is the like steerer of the ship. They kind of like, you know, keep everything moving. So again, like we have an hour and a half to two hours with her weekly. Um, I think if we've learned anything, it's it's the lack of FaceTime. If the pandemic did anything to our business, the lack of FaceTime was probably the most severe impact it had. Being able to keep driving things forward, um, being able to be like stay in touch with each other. We spoke about how important that founder relationship was at the beginning. That's really difficult to do remotely, you know, like not having that time together um, and really like driving creativity and inspiring all of this change making stuff that we're talking about. Doing it remotely is difficult. So we've been yeah, very like militant on making sure that we get enough like decent FaceTime with the right members of our team. And that's always really prioritized. Amazing. 
I think as well, we've just learned to like prioritize like our own mental health. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're a founder of Cash, like literally for since 2017, like we have lived and breathed. It's the first thing that we think about when we wake yeah. up. It's the last thing we think about before we go to sleep. We normally dream about it. If we wake up in the middle of the night, we also think about it. It's like quite mentally taxing to be a founder. And I think sometimes you get really consumed as well within the industry of, oh my God, like look at how fast they're social followings growing or like did you see that piece of press or like you know oh my god they got that listing or did you hear how well they're doing and it's really it can be really mentally taxing to constantly be comparing yourself to others and then constantly trying to succeed and grow and do everything faster and better and I think just an acknowledgement to step back and say this is not my entire life it is what I'm is professionally devoted to but I have to have something else that gives me fulfillment outside of this because it's not always going to be quite the like exciting positive journey that we all want it to be when you've been running a business for five years there have been massive ups and downs throughout that period and I think just the pandemic has really made or, or just like the reassessment that I think everyone has done over the past two years of just like what we work to live not live to work and I think that has been quite a difficult mental adjustment for me who has always been you know so committed and devoted to my work um but I think and again you know it's probably in tandem with having a baby when you physically can't mentally always commit to the business but I think that that's been a really good mental shift for both of us because it can be very all-consuming and almost like life life Changing. like absorbing yeah. you just everything you look at is just in context of the business and that's not healthy it's so true no and thank you for saying that because it is important for even if you have your own brand or work for a company if you know giving yourself um and it's hard to sometimes put a barrier because you you love your work and you love to to build and i personally like when i wake up the first thing i do quite embarrassing but I, I, not embarrassing it's actually maybe it's quite alarming actually it's like google fable in maine i look at the past 24 hours i just want to see if there's any new articles or anything cool happening and um it's i live that i live through fable in maine more than my personal um socials and my own personal stuff and then obviously when you have days where things go wrong it can get really uh, draining and upsetting because it is sort of like your life and um I think you know when you it's sad sometimes you you reach the point of burnout to then realize how important it is to have boundaries and set those healthy um I guess you could say breaks and and mind um gaps between the work and and yourself uh so I just recently took a little trip away for three four days and it was and I said no work no emails and it was actually one of the healthiest things I've done and it took a friend of mine to say when's the last time you stopped working and I was like what do you mean? He's like, no, when's the last time you didn't do a day without emailing? And I was like, I don't think there's been a day where I didn't check like my favorite emails for at least the last two years of building this. So I was like, I'm actually going to take three days off and not even like turn off the inbox. And it was so refreshing. So thank you for saying that because we all go through that as founders and it's important to put those boundaries. So yeah, appreciate that. Um, one thing I will now just say before we get into fire round questions is kind of a desert island situation. So I'm inviting you to a founded beauty island retreat and um, you both can bring one product of your choice from Bybee. So Elsie, um, Dominica, what is your one go-to each? 
And it should be different because you can share your products. Well, if it's a desert island, I'd have to say our SPF because <laughs> I've got quite fair skin. <laughs> so there's no point in having anything else if I'm super burnt all the time. So I would say our mineral SPF day cream, day defense. And as long as I can use the day defense, <laughs> then I'll bring Mega Mist, which is our hyaluronic acid face spray. And it's just going to keep us all really like hydrated and glowing on that desert island. There's going to be no dry, patchy, sun-kissed skin. It's just pure glow. I love it. Oh, well, I was going to say, you could also do one of the kits and get a lot of minis in there, right? Like your booster barrel and stuff. That's like a little... You're a smart guy. There. You're a smart You know, guy. I always tell my founders, I'm like, you missed out on your mini kit, but it's fine. <laughs> There's, oh no, but you're right. We need a lot of SPF and we need the mist. So it's good, good, good shout there. So fire round question. First thing that comes to your mind, and I think we'll go Elsie first and then Dominica. So um, Elsie. What's another beauty brand that you're currently loving? Bioma. Nice, yes. And Dominica? Um, I love Paradise. Yeah, oh, Jules was one of my first podcast guests. He's amazing. <laughs> he's been on our podcast yeah. too. <laughs> Has he? He's such a ball of fun. He's amazing. I love it. Um, what is a guilty pleasure of yours, Elsie? Fresh TV. Um, well, in the next question, you'll, you'll probably tell me which one. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Dominica. Well, I would say the same. Really, just the lowest, lowest brow TV that you can find. <laughs> just give me, give me a e reality show on there, and you're good. Yeah, it is. I will say, trash TV, reality TV shows, etc. They're really good to have in the background as well while you're working and doing emails. Because yeah. it's just that kind of like, um, yeah, like, little, like you put your head up. You're like, what just happened there? And you put your head back yeah. down and continue emailing. Um, <laughs> so what are you currently watching or reading? Oh, oh God. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to expose you now. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, leading on from the last question, I have two lines of always on watching. One with husband, one without. <laughs> the without is like considerably less highbrow. At the moment, I'm slow catching up on Euphoria um, nice. with husband. Actually, this is trash. Just finished uh, Inventing Anna. Oh, yeah. No, that, that, that's acceptable. Also trash. trash. That, that, that's, I think everyone has seen that. So that's good. That, 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 I agree. Yeah. Um, but it's, when everyone watches it, they're like, it, wasn't, it was okay, but I still watched it till the end. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like that's um, what most people say about most things these that's, days. Yeah. True. I know. It's just, you, you invest so ready time in, you're like, I've already invested. Let's just finish this. Um, so, Dominica, what are you currently watching? Or I am on the last episode of Bridgerton. I've powered through it over the weekend, Bridgerton season two. It's pretty good. It was a slow start, it but I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, I need to watch actually. I've never, I mean, we're in the Bridgerton mailer. Netflix chose us Fable and Maine for the Herald, um, which is pretty cool. I, I think because, you know, the Shah are my sisters. So they're yeah. Indian and that's why they chose some Indian. Yeah, fans. they do before the wedding night as well. They do some Haldi and that was like a nice. Which is pretty cool. A lot of cultural sharing. That's exactly. Um, what is your favorite social media platform right now, Elsie? I, I like almost can't admit to this. I've gone back to Facebook. Like, I am back back on. I was, like, not on it at all. When you become a mum, like, there's, like, a resur- resurgence of communities of mums on Facebook. And I've just, like, I found my, my tribe and my voice. <laughs> and I'm, like, on all these groups, just, like, shouting really loud. Yeah, it's great. It. Just... <laughs> 
I want to avoid I love that. It's a refreshing answer to Instagram and TikTok, which yeah, is exactly. for everyone. But maybe, Dominic, what's your favorite? Is it Instagram or TikTok? <laughs> At the moment, it is TikTok because all I've got on a train of like millennial throwback accounts. So I just, oh, yeah. oh, just, I love it. It's just literally like my, from like 2000 to 2008, just like my life on flashback. Like what I used to wear, what I ate, what I listened to. Just, exactly. I love it. Um, yeah, I spent hours on TikTok. It's it's quite, I mean, if I added up the time, I just need to get a life really. Um, no, I feel you. You can just pass so much it, time. But yeah, I'm quite into TikTok at the moment. It is funny how, especially the throwback ones, like, you know, being, um, sometimes it makes you feel like, I never once felt like my age, but now I see these people like listening to like songs from like the 1990s and 2000s and then that literally like never heard of it, never heard of it. I'm like, what? You've never heard of these songs? Like, this is what we grew up with. So it does make you sometimes feel like, but then you look at the comments and everyone's like, how do people not know these songs? So it makes you feel there is a little community of us. We're also finally at an age where I can say about the current fashions I used to wear that <laughs> yeah. I just spend my life looking at Gen Z and going oh my god I used to wear that and I never thought that would come back again like the yeah. low slung jeans the like crop yeah. tops the like yeah like people walking around looking like they're members of S Club 7 on sets <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, what happened to fashion <laughs> You have to go back into your cupboards and get all the clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be worth a bit now. They go out my mid sixty jeans. <laughs> um, next question. We're nearly done. Um, what is? Do you have like a favorite mantra or a quote that you guys go by? People ask this a lot, and we always end up saying this one, which um, sounds like a rip off, but it's not. Okay, so it is somebody else's yeah. quote. Uh, just do it. Yeah. You might have yeah, heard yeah, it. Yeah. You, might, <laughs> you may have heard that one before. Yes. Um, no, but we live and breathe by it because. Uh, we grew our business um, on quick decision making the like fail fast learn from your mistakes and don't dither around deciding whether you're going to do it or not and we 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 make quick decisions we really like that pace of work and and urgency to the way we run our business nice thank you I know it's such an it's such a simple but important one um, I mean Nike Nike's done a yeah, great we'll job pointing that, that but you know I think in beauty it is <laughs> We'll give them that one, but they should collaborate with us beauty brands and do something cool with that because it is something we all, it is a common kind of trend I see when anyone who wants to create a yeah. beauty brand, I'm like, just do it. Yeah. It's like the first thing that comes out of my head. Um, and my last question is, if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur, what would you be doing right now? So Elsie. Well, I kind of gave you an insight to this earlier. I'd be an actress, yeah. but really yes. a waitress <laughs> going to auditions. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, could, I could see you in Bridgerton. Yeah, you, I do. Like- Maybe I've got my big break in Bridgerton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Dominica? God knows. I'd just be hustling something. I'd be trying to sell sell you something, whether it was beauty products <laughs> or I don't know. Just, I used to sell credit checking software, classified ads. You know, I used to have like a little eBay business where I would buy things off season and then sell them when they were on season. Just, just literally, I'd be selling you something. That is all I know. <laughs> be hustling. I love that. You'll be hustling. Uh, and, I, and I think that's something that 
when you have that, it's just an inherent thing in your, in your DNA. And that's why I think you've created a brand because it's no better way, especially when you have such a great mission to spread that. And yeah, and really, really, really happy and proud to have met you guys because you really are changing um, a lot of people's mindsets and especially mine. You're inspiring me a lot after this conversation. So just want to really appreciate the time you've taken to um, to share your wisdom and I cannot wait to see what the future lies for, for Bybee, but also you both together as founders. So um, where can everyone follow you um, either individually or as the, as the brand and um, yeah, to continue your, your journey? Bybee, uh, at Bybee Beauty and Bybee Founders, which is uh, the two of us. Amazing. And um, I'll put uh, this, the links all in the summary so everyone can just go click straight away and, and follow and check out the brand as well. And you are also in some great retailers right like Boots and Sephora Singapore a few places Target Target in the US we're nationwide with Target Um, amazing yeah good distribution nice well thank you so much we'll catch up now um offline we'll go for uh, a pint (laughs) and a a catch up we'll talk sustainability um and uh, maybe uh, also share some notes on our trash tv watching (laughs) (laughs) so thank you so much and um yeah really appreciate your time hope you enjoyed this episode of founded beauty as much as i had making it and if you did please share it with a friend who you think will love it too founded beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music podcast the acast app and many more and i'm also very proud to be part of the acast creator network to be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop we really appreciate every single follow listen share and review it truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. So as a little thank you, I will be hosting a giveaway each week on my Instagram channel at meta underscore a, where you can win some amazing Fable Main goodies. All you have to do is follow me, check out my stories and all will be revealed. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.